everybody. Welcome back to another episode of This Week in Finance, a podcast by financial friends and hosted by the one, the only, me, Brendan. Thank you so much for joining me again this week. I appreciate you taking time out of your day to listen to me talk about everything that's happened this week in finance. If you're enjoying this podcast, if you've enjoyed previous episodes, go ahead, hit that like button down below. It really helps out the channel, helps push this video to more people, and it only takes just a second, not to mention it is the low cost of free. So it doesn't cost you any money to do that, so please go ahead and do that. It really helps it out. Thank you very, very much. And also, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, any other podcast network or platform, and you would have a couple seconds to go ahead and leave a review of the podcast, let me know what you think. I greatly appreciate all of your support. Without further ado, we're going to go ahead and talk about Joe Biden, healthcare, Bill Gates, what else do we got here, Robin Hood. So if you're excited, go ahead, stick around, grab some popcorn, or put me on 2x speed, whatever you prefer, and let's go ahead and get into things. First things first, the EU has struck a gas deal with the United States as it seeks its reliance from Russian gas. Now, this is not in regard to oil. This is in regard to natural gas, but the United States is hopefully going to be supplying some more gas, natural gas, that is, to the EU. Um, I think this is beneficial for everybody involved. Obviously not for Russia, but that's kind of the point. For the EU, obviously, they're going to get that reliance. They're going to be able to separate themselves from Russia, from someone who is dominating and controlling exactly what's going on. And then the United States is hopefully going to get some new jobs, maybe build out a little bit more infrastructure, and hopefully boost the economy or help the GDP, whatever it might be, to kind of increase this production and net exports out of the country um, to the EU. I don't necessarily see anything that's super negative. Now, I'm not super into energy and oil and all that type of stuff. It doesn't really interest me. Um, But the financial aspect of supporting the United States, benefiting the United States, building out more infrastructure here in the United States, doing things in America and by America, for someone who invests in American stocks, that interests me when we can do better by American companies. So there we go. That's what you should take away from that. Moving forward, United Healthcare, one of the largest, or actually the largest, health insurer in the nation, has purchased for $170 in cash per share LHC Group for a total of $5.4 billion US dollars. This is a massive deal, and this just shows again the concentration that we were talking about when I very first started doing this week in finance, covering companies like Microsoft and Microsoft and Activision Blizzard consolidating. Uh, This is exactly that. There is more consolidation happening as big companies got bigger. Companies with a lot of cash got more cash over this pandemic, and then they can swoop in when prices are low and acquire other companies. Now, this is good for people who own S&P 500 as United Healthcare, at least in the ticker symbol VOO, which is Vanguard's S&P 500 ETF. They are the 10th largest stock within that ETF. And so having a larger allocation or having access to more capital or more revenue, I really should say, um, is a benefit to United Health. And so hopefully over the long run, this company can continue to do well and then boost the S&P 500 as a result. Um, is this consolidation good for consumers? This is really how it applies directly to you who are listening, potentially. Uh, no, I don't think so. I'm not directly involved in healthcare as a consumer. However, I could imagine that less competition is not beneficial for you as a consumer 
but as an investor, it probably is. ExxonMobil is now mining Bitcoin in North Dakota. I think this is very interesting as institutions continue to show their love for Bitcoin. Obviously, you have massive companies like MicroStrategy, Block, or formerly Square taking interest in Bitcoin. Um, but now you have oil companies taking interest in Bitcoin. When they are mining for their oil and they strike a natural gas thing, I don't even know how you mine for oil, um, but when they do hit natural gas, normally they flare it up into the atmosphere, light it on fire, burn it away because they can't necessarily transport it anywhere to where they can get it to somewhere that's going to be productive or sell it or whatever it might be. So they just kind of flare it, it wastes money and it hurts the environment. So now they're taking that energy rather to mine Bitcoin, which is both good for the environment, productive and profitable for them as they mine a hopefully increasing asset over time. Again, I really think that the takeaway here is more institutional love. Bitcoin is something that is becoming further integrated, further introduced. People are now asking about it. I actually, and I don't think that they're going to be listening, had my grandparents ask me, what is Bitcoin the other day? Um, we're going to have a article here later in the podcast where we talk about kind of how many people are exposed to Bitcoin. And honestly, I think it's still pretty early. Why does this matter for you? Well, Bitcoin as a whole is getting more love from institutions, and yet you might still be early on the long run train. So I think it's something to, to take an interest to. If you haven't already looked into Bitcoin, if you don't already invest in Bitcoin, or you haven't thought about investing in Bitcoin, take a look at it. Do your own research, come to your own conclusion, but I think it's worth a look. If you're enjoying the podcast so far, if you're enjoying This Week in Finance, my commentary, my thoughts, my questions back to you, the viewers, please go ahead and smash that like button down below. Like I said, it helps push this video to more people. I do appreciate it. President Joe Biden has announced a new tax, a 20% minimum billionaire tax. To all of us listening, for the most part, I don't really know who listens, um, this probably doesn't directly apply to us. Some of the things hidden in this bill might potentially. That's the reason that Graham Stephan of Millennial Money, a massive finance YouTuber, along with Andre Jick and uh, Jeremy from Financial Education, they do not seem to think that this bill will pass. They mentioned in their podcast that there were some hidden, hidden things in this bill, some other hidden things packed into this billionaire tax that they don't necessarily think bipartisan, so both Republican and Democrats would be able to agree on. However, this 20% minimum billionaire tax is something very interesting. The reason why they're introducing this, you have teachers, you have social workers, you have psych other people, right? Um, hard workers who are, are earning their wages and then are having taxes being hit on them. And they're actually paying percentage-wise, of course, more taxes than these very wealthy people. So President Joe Biden has proposed that households worth more, combined households worth more than this $100 million, they would be obligated to pay a 20% minimum tax. Now, what this means is if the wealthy who do create a lot, right, for the economy and for the government and, and they're helping this velocity of money, right, if they are using loopholes that are legal and avoiding these taxes and maybe investing in real estate, which offers a ton of tax incentives and tax breaks, right? If they find themselves at 17, 18%, right? Of their total 
um, net worth or not, I'm sorry, not net worth, but income for the year, then that would be bumped up to 20%. Now, obviously there's a ton more to this bill, a ton more little intricacies and different things that go along with that. But there, they do say that over half the revenue could come from these people worth more than $1 billion. And so they are hoping uh, that this new 20% minimum tax rate can help the country bring in more tax revenue. You can learn more about it with this article. Taxes are not my forte, but of course, being interested in finance, they do play a role in really everything that you do, money or finance related. So I felt that it was definitely important to share this with all of you as it really is going to overarchingly affect everybody, not directly, but overarchingly. If you live in the United States and this were to happen, it would affect you. So that's why you should care. Tesla wants to pay a stock dividend. So AKA, they don't want to split. They don't want to pay a dividend, but they do want to have a stock dividend, hypothetically, or literally actually, bringing down the number price of the stock, but not affecting the value of the stock. So it will dilute your share price, but it will not affect the market cap of Tesla. So let's say, for example, you own one share of Tesla. They decide to do this split or this rather stock dividend. Potentially anybody who owned one share could now own two shares. Anyone who owned um, a share might get 0.25 additional shares. However, it shakes out Whoever owns stock will be given more stock, and that's how this is going to work. What this does is it hopefully, well, it will bring price down for each share. It's going to dilute the amount of shares that are out there. So there might be double the amount of shares, or um, 25% more shares, or 50% more shares, or whatever you know it might be. And so this will bring down the price, but it will keep the market cap of Tesla the same. Why does Tesla want to do this? Well, it incentivizes people who assume that a lower stock price just means the stock is cheaper to invest. It also allows people to utilize options on the stock, which increases leverage and allows them to kind of make different plays and hedge positions. So they assume that by doing this, naturally, this can increase the stock price. Off of this announcement, they did get a 6% raise in the stock price, bringing the stock price up to about $1,075. So they already saw that before they even did anything. They actually just asked the SEC um, in it, with its shareholder meeting, can we please see an increase in the number of authorized share of common stock in order to enable a stock split for the company's common stock in the form of a stock dividend? That was obviously word from word from the SEC filing. Bill Gates and BlackRock, along with Duke Energy, are supporting Cody Friesen's, hopefully I'm saying that right, Source Global Hydro Panel Making Water Out of Thin Air Project. I think this is an amazing mission, an amazing project. They now have 50, in 52 separate countries, 450 total projects that are being done with these solar panels. Now, what are they? Well, these are solar panels that take the moisture in the air and they pack them 10,000 times tighter or more concentrated, creating liquid water, which is then collected inside of a reservoir and released as pure H2O. Amazing. In countries like potentially in Africa, in places like Flint, Michigan, and here in the United States, in other places where water sources might be far and few between, might be polluted, might be spread out from other people, right? 
access to water is crucial. Access to clean water is crucial. And I love this business because it solves a problem. You see here that they say that a massive business opportunity or enormous business opportunity rather is there. Having already raised $150 million, I personally would put my money behind this business. It solves a problem. It helps humanity. And those two things together, a match made in heaven. Now, a few questions I do have are, how are they going to generate revenue, say, once these panels are everywhere, right? What does that look like? Does that just mean servicing or replacing them or innovating with more technology? And really, who's going to buy them? Are governments going to buy them? Can individuals buy them? Can school systems or local cities, are they able to afford them? What does that type of process look like? I put here in my notes, I would absolutely love to see a roadmap of this, um, a kind of business plan or outlook or future or guidance or something like that. Obviously, I don't think, well, I know rather the company's not public. Um, and so these big people are just backing the business, but I would be thrilled to be able to invest in this business. Um, really check out the product, see what it's like, because it solves problems and it helps humanity. President Joe Biden has made no mention of student loan forgiveness quite yet. Why do we care about this? Why do you listening care about this? Well, of course, all of these out are uh, out there, outstanding student loans have been growing a lot. And over the pandemic, there have been pauses or sort of extensions of this pause rather for no payments or no interest or whatever it is. I personally don't have any out stu out, uh, outstanding student loans, but a lot of people are being having the ability to have this extended for them so they do not have to make payments in a time where a lot of people wouldn't be able to afford to make that payment. There's been a lot of talk of these loans being forgiven permanently, and so you would no longer have to make payments on these. Now, companies, servicers like SoFi and like others are looking for guidance as well as students. They want to know, are we going to have to or are we not going to have to? Because this has been kicked down the can long enough as well as the fact of they don't know month to month at this point whether or not they're going to have to make their payments on their loans. Are they going to be in forbearance? Are they going to be pushed back? Is it going to be accruing interest? Am I going to ever have to pay these? Because all of us listening would not want to spend $20,000 paying off our loans and five days later have the president announce that you will never have to pay back those student loans. They're going to be forgave. That would be terrible. So I personally know people... I know that there's other people out there too that are probably sitting there twiddling their thumbs, confused, nervous, and they just want some form of guidance. I'm here to tell you that unfortunately we have not gotten that yet. Speaking of SoFi, a competitor of SoFi, Robinhood has added four additional hours and extended their trading for their clients, now offering trading from 7 in the morning to 8 at night Eastern Standard Time. Previously, they only had 30 minutes before open and two hours after close. They have obviously extended that, which is good. It's a good thing. Robinhood is in the news in a positive light, which I feel like they haven't been in a very long time. They do state here word for word that their customers often tell us they are working or preoccupied during regular market hours. This limits their ability to invest on their own schedule or evaluate and react to important market news. That's why they came and released this. 
like I said, this is good. This allows them to better compete in a time where there is an insane amount of competition. You have companies like SoFi, like Weeble, like Moomoo, like Public, like Fidelity, like Charles Schwab, like Interactive Brokers, the latter of the three already having features like this. Robinhood did not need to consult the SEC to do this, so they went ahead and did it. I think it's a good decision. I think it puts them in a positive light, like I mentioned, at a time where they really need to be shed in positive light as fintechs kind of struggle in the stock market, seeing a few green days over the last little while. Waymo, a Google-owned company, has introduced full driverless cars to San Francisco. They've already been doing this in Phoenix, but they are now moving it over into San Francisco. Now, why do I bring this up? I bring this up for one main reason. While we have all been watching Tesla, Waymo has been doing something extremely innovative, having their own driverless fleet. I think this is absolutely amazing. Robo-taxis and things of that sort have been a massive key to the future value of Tesla. A lot of people weighing in on a full fleet of robo-taxis and how that could benefit and create revenue for Tesla. What about Waymo? Moving in silence. Like they say, real Gs move in silence like lasagna. And Waymo has been doing that. Very interesting. I think if you have some time, definitely take this up and read this. Talks about how they started very slow in Phoenix, naturally moved to no people being in the front seat, and they're now allowing these cars in Phoenix to be driven completely driverless. It is No one is driving the vehicle for you. There's not a person in there to protect you, to turn the wheel in case something happens. Um, I think this comes with knowledge, with building out a roadmap of the city, of the lights, of the stop signs, of all that type of stuff, um, and obviously just tons and tons of data, which they've been collecting, obviously just in a concentrated area. Tesla has a massive leg up on something like this because they're collecting a ton of data around the nation in foreign countries in Canada in literally everywhere, right? So they have way, way, way more data than Waymo. However, Google backs this company. Google can find ways to get data. They literally have a map of the entire globe and imagery of the entire globe. If anyone's going to be able to do it, it would be Google. Watch out for Waymo. I told you I was going to talk more about cryptocurrency. Here it is. One in five adults have invested or traded or used cryptocurrency. This comes from an NBC News poll. Now, a lot of people say they don't know or care about cryptocurrency. 19 people, percent of people, sorry, say that they see it in a positive light, but a quarter of people indicated they view Bitcoin or cryptocurrency in a negative light. What does this say about the space? One in five people have used it, and of the people they've polled, a quarter or one in four think it's bad. We're early. That's my take. That's my take. We are early. I only mess with the big dogs. I only personally invest in Bitcoin and Ethereum, heavily that is. I dabbled in Cardano. I have a little bit of Doge for the memes. I have some basic attention token that I didn't pay for. I just earned it. So I mess with Bitcoin and I mess with Ethereum. I DCA over time and I have a very long time horizon. That is what I personally do. 25% of people say they don't like it and only 20% of people have utilized it. I'm going to continue to dollar cost average in 
over the long run. I think things are going to be just fine. That's my take. Let me know what you do with Bitcoin or Ethereum or cryptocurrency down below. Charlie Munger has warned Gen Z investors that it is way harder for them, recent college graduates that is, to get rich and to stay rich. I think this is pretty much stating the obvious at this point. The cost of college has risen 1,400% in the last 40 years. The value of that college, in my personal opinion, has uh, stagnated or actually went down. We don't necessarily get anything different than people 40 years ago did, and I don't think our degrees are valued as highly as they once were. With that being said, prices of everything else, including rent, which takes a massive chunk of our income away from us, has risen along with the prices of literally everything else. So, of course, it's a little bit harder to get rich and to stay rich. Also, you have a lot of rich valuations on companies, at least six months ago or so, or a little bit longer. So it's going to be a little harder to build wealth. But the main thing here is that cost of everything, mainly in my personal opinion, education and rent, have went up a lot. And we're not able to leverage debt, leverage the debt that we take on in school, then leverage a mortgage to build wealth. So it's going to be harder for us. What am I going to do? I'm going to invest over the long run, dollar cost average in, stay consistent, invest in the broad market, not try and get too picky with individual stocks. I'm going to build my dividend portfolio, invest in some blue chips and some big tech companies, keep the rest in index funds and move forward. Also, when I do look at homes, I'm going to look at something first initially that's way too small, way too cheap, way too undervalued for something that I can afford, hopefully. And I'm going to hopefully buy that or have that property forever and kind of start from there. That's what I'm going to do. I'd leave it up to you. Please complete all your own research. But this is something to keep your eye on that massive investors, big people in the investment space say it's a little bit harder to get rich and stay rich. Listen for these people. They have a ton of knowledge and a ton of experience. Last story here on the chopping block. Apple creates yet another way for them to generate massive amounts of revenue, introducing their business essentials program, which allows for small businesses. They are or have mentioned here in this article for people under or businesses under 500 employees that they can now get their iPhones or iPads or Macs install some form of software on it, this business essential software, and then manage and track and see everything that's going on and have their own platforms and link it to Azure or Alexa, which are Microsoft and Amazon's sort of uh, cloud platforms. They're going to allow them to run the business through their products. They say that these prices can range from $2 or $3, I should say, a month to $25 a month per worker. This is going to be yet another reoccurring uh, billing subscription and a ton of revenue for Apple. Someone who has already increased their services business by 27%, growing to $68.4 billion. Massive. Apple obviously sells iPhones. They sell hardware. But they're getting into the software game like Apple TV, Fitness Plus, Apple Arcade, Apple Music, Apple News. What am I missing, right? Now Business Essentials. iCloud. That's a massive one, okay? Reoccurring revenue 
is fantastic for a business. It means they always have cash in. They can implement this once. It can be done for free all of the time. They just put Apple Music out there one time, but they sell it to millions. That is a good business model. And Apple has a good business model just selling pieces of hardware. Headphones too. Uh, What else? The iPad that I'm getting all my notes from and the computer that I'm recording this on is all Apple. But I also sign up for like four things that they provide. Reoccurring revenue and hardware sales. Apple has a bright future as already the largest company in the world. Thank you very much for spending some time with me on this Sunday. And if you're listening to this Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, or Saturday, thank you for spending some time with me. I do appreciate it. If you enjoyed this video, if you learned something, if I sparked your curiosity, or if I gave you something to think about, go ahead and drop a like on this video and then go think about it and let me know what you think about it in the comments. If you want to see another video like this, if you want to see what videos come out every Tuesday or Thursday, go ahead and hit the subscribe button and then hit the notification bell. And if you want to hear this podcast early every single week, go ahead and subscribe to the Patreon. It's going to be down below in the comments. It helps me grow financial friends and I do greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much for your time and have a great one.